Hi, Joe. Hi, Abigail. <laughs> Welcome to Neurodivergent Moments. Hello, listeners, too. Hi, everyone. We just finished a fabulous uh, conversation uh, with Pete Warmby. Wait, did I say it right? You did say it, yeah, Warmby. Okay, because <laughs> before we hit record, he was telling us all the ways people say his name wrong, and now I'm like, well fuck i'm gonna <laughs> say it wrong but yeah people i got it because i i have an image of a bee in like a nice jumper that's how I oh know. i like that pete warm bee. <laughs> a warm bee oh i love that um fabulous author uh we are reading his book right now um called oh now what I i'd like to talk about what i like to talk about it's brilliant. It's a very fun and interesting book. And uh, yeah, lots of very relatable stuff. I'm really enjoying the book. However, I never read the cover, so I don't know what it's called. But uh, the <laughs> inside, the inside's got some good stuff. It's really, as a thing we, we spoke about in the interview, which is in the future for you, listener, but as has happened for us in the past, um, we, Pete talked about... Um, having that like imposter syndrome feeling like oh maybe I'm not really autistic and I feel like when I read books like Pete's I go oh yeah that's it that's very relatable that's the experience and mm. then if I watch um you know if I read Curious Incident or if I watch Big Bang Theory or whatever I go oh no I'm not not like that you know so when you read that sort of real experience that's where it's relatable and that fixes the imposter syndrome yeah totally well, should we just get straight into it or is there anything else we talked a lot about special interests on this, we're recording this right after doing the interview, so it'll be interesting to see how much of me and uh, Pete going on about Marvel makes it into the podcast. But <laughs> it's about half an hour of Abigail. <laughs> You're gonna hear it, uh, Abigail and Pete talking about Marvel films. Um, if if you like me, don't know anything about Marvel films, and found I was interested, but I was very confused and had nothing to contribute to the conversation, um, then uh, then that that will. That, that's going to be in the conversation. Look forward to that. Yep. Okay, let's do Here it. Here it is, Pete Warmby. Pete, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here to have a bit of a chat about things. I, uh, I've already started your book. Uh, I'm not very far into it, but already just, you're such a beautiful writer, man. You, it just, it flows so nicely. I'm, I'm in the Lego bit, so I'm very early on, but I'm really, really enjoying it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Everyone says that. And it's funny because I can't see it, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. you know, I can't judge my own writing at all. Like, I, I know that it's correct. <laughs> punctuation wise you know I'm, I'm i'm confident with that but but when it comes to uh flow or anything a bit less tangible I, i'm always very surprised and happy that people like it you know it's, it's a real kind of bonus <laughs> so thank I'm you i'm reading it too i love it too and i've been reading uh, the other one on pack because i i'm because i'm an influencer now i, I got a, an advanced copy of the one that's coming out in march so i'm reading that alongside it both excellent so far thank you good it's nice to know that the second one seems okay because I'm I'm kind of waiting for those responses to come through from the influencer kind of circle, you know, and it's uh, yeah, <laughs> of hooks, you know, just waiting for somebody to contact and say, well, actually. <laughs> uh, so the, the, your first book uh, is our is our theme for today, which is special interests. Okay. 
Um, and uh, so I've jumped straight in with the theme. Usually we, we, we talk shit for a little bit, but I've, I've jumped in. Because uh, partly because I can see one of your interests behind you on the webcam. You've got, is that um, a diehard Lego set? I, oh God, I wish it was. Um, it's, it, I mean, it could be. With a bit of a tweak, I could actually, I'm going to do that. So <laughs> thank you for the idea. No, it's actually two, two of my interests combined because it's the, um, it's the Lego version of the Daily Bugle. You know, uh, Spider-Man's uh, newspaper. Oh. Um, yes, yes. So it's got Dr. Octopus swinging on a flagpole. Like you... oh. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so, yeah, that, this, this, is my, this is my happy corner um, where I do a lot of my things like this and I do my writing and I'm just surrounded by a large quantity of plastic bricks, um, which makes me very cheerful. So the, the Lego is a long special interest, isn't it? Because that's from when you were a child that, um, yeah. So I guess, should we start with um, what I think you do in your book very well is drawing the line between, I guess, autistic or neurodivergent special interests and people who like things. <laughs> yes, yeah, indeed. Hobbies, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Thing, isn't it? And, and it can be difficult, you know, and there were times, I think there are times where you kind of worry, you know, oh, am I overdoing it a little bit with how important special interests are? You know, what if what if they are just hobbies? You know, that kind of imposter syndrome that I think many of us get, you know, when we're neurodivergent, because I don't know, we, you know, there's so many people telling us what autism should look like and, you know, how it should be seen and, you know, well, you're not like... Sheldon on the Big Bang Theory so how on earth could you possibly be autistic you know you kind of internalized that I think and there were times where I, I really worried you know that I was um o- overdoing it a bit but I think they are significantly different I really do I'm, I'm a great believer in the um in in the fact that I feel like autistic people generally speaking absolutely need their interests like and, and when they're not there they I mean I've when, when mine have disappeared for example when I'm struggling to do them if I'm like you know really down or something like that then the impact is gigantic on me whereas you know with neurotypical people I know friends relatives and such like if they can't do their hobby they they, they cope you know and and you have people who you know pour all their life into their work and things and they don't have time for hobbies anymore you know and they seem fine I mean maybe they're not maybe they're dead inside I don't know but they seem fine you know neurotypical people and, and fair enough whereas I think autistic people in particular if that were the way that life was going, you know, that you had no time at all to ever do anything for your special interests, I, I, I don't think that would be in any way um, manageable or, or, or something you could cope with for any amount of time at all. I think that we need them at a very deep level for modulation and moderation and to regulate our, our moods and our stress levels and, and just to be happy, you know, just to find some contented peace. So uh, one of the things that... I should I should share my special interests all turn out to be awful. They're all mus- have all historically been musicians who've turned out to be awful people. So <laughs> as a teenager, um, so this is a hard topic for me to talk about. As a teenager, special interest was Marilyn Manson, who, as we know, know was a very bad man. Um, but I, I would talk about him all the time. Uh, it was very important. All of my school projects were in some way I'd find a way to crowbar in some Marilyn Manson. I love um, that. All I my sort that. of art projects and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And uh, 
I think, but I, I'm always interested in, um, and then in my late twenties, my special interest was Kanye. So I, don't, I really am not good at picking special interests. <laughs> How's that going? How's that going for <laughs> it's you? It's been a hard week for for, um, for me. Um, but uh, I, I've always the interesting. What draws people to special interest? Because for me, before we knew Marilyn Manson was was bad, um, I was so I would have been sort of like twelve, thirteen, and. Um, there wasn't like just a random special interest that I picked, you know, I saw him and I, it was sort of a time where there was lots of messages about sort of gender and what men should be like and men should be macho. And, and I wasn't really like that. And I was uh, the idea of a man who, you know, took on a woman's name and wore makeup and stuff like that. I thought that was sort of quite, quite cool. Um, and just knowing that I was different as a teenager, very different and seeing a musician who, um, uh you know what was sort of all about being different and weird but how cool that was and that was what drew it to me so it wasn't like a sort of random special interest so what what are the what are the criteria for your special interests are they do they come at a certain point in your life where you need them for uh for that sort of thing it's it's a very good question. I've given this some thought actually in the past. You know, what, what is is there like a, a you know a thread between them or something that links them or some? And I've never really found anything. I think world building is a big thing for me. Mm. Um, and I think in the same way that you were kind of you know, sort of attracted to Marilyn Manson, you, know, you, you were you were drawn to him as a as a kind of as, as a figure that represented something. You know, that was that was kind of important um, because of you know feeling different. And I think for me, world building and kind of fictional places is similar in that I'm drawn to it because I feel different and I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> Not in a really down kind of way, but because these these other places that we have in our you know in our culture you know whether they're the marvel universe or a world on minecraft that you've built yourself or um middle earth from lord of the rings or whatever it might be um they're they're they're, they're nicer they're more interesting they're they're a refuge they're a sanctuary away from the stresses and the strains of reality which can often be way too much to cope with and i found that at a very young age you know i found i found reality deeply confusing deeply upsetting um and wanted not to have to deal with that so mm. i you know pretty much everything i think that i thought that i really am fascinated by shares that escapism almost like literal escapism going on in there so what would you say your uh special interests are what are the ones that you're really gravitated towards right now um at the moment i'm really back into um video gaming after a bit of a hiatus you know with writing the books and stuff you know I had to <laughs> you know try to balance my time a little bit but I've relaxed a bit now and I'm back into gaming a little bit more than I was um I've been playing Minecraft an awful lot again recently I've been building my the world that I uh, talk about in chapter ooh, what chapter is it chapter five chapter six chapter six I think um I've been working on that again so that's a big thing for me but it's interesting because it's also a time where I, I am again very stressed and the real world is particularly unpleasant at the moment you know it just, just from a political perspective you know now I'm older it's, it can often when I, when I was a kid it was about like you know school and family life and stuff wanting me to you know made me want to kind of escape whereas now politics has a big impact you know and like you said with Kanye you know things are really rough at the moment so it's interesting that I'm gravitating towards Minecraft which is my almost most literal escape world that I can kind of run off to and run around in and forget you know um so that's a really big one but i've also got a real um resurgence in stuff to do with folklore 
and um and kind of ghosts and the supernatural and that kind of stuff it's it's stuff that didn't make it into the book as a kind of standalone chapter um because i wasn't quite sure how to link it to things but it's a really big deal for me you know something that uh, you know I, I can immerse myself in for days days at a time you know um and yeah i've been really enjoying just reading up on goblins and old British folklore from the far-flung reaches of the country, you know, like the the Misty Moors and the Fens and all those odd places that exist. I'm I'm so on board for this. What can yeah. you tell us your your favourite goblin? <laughs> My favourite <laughs> goblin. Well, he's actually just, just a guy, you know. <laughs> got a goblin. Um, there's specific goblin. Is it like a thing like where there's like there's this goblin that lives in in this place, or are there, or do they just generally live in like areas they don't... generally live somewhere? They don't tend to be quite that specific, although, you know, they, they can be, you know, approaching that. They tend to be very regional, you know, so every part of the country will have a different kind of nickname or or a, a kind of um, almost, you know, term of endearment that they use for this creature, you know, that, that inhabits that area. So one of the famous ones would be, you know, you, you heard of Black Shook, the big black dog, um, like uh, the haunts, old lanes and stuff like that, like fiery eyeballs. But they're they're called different things in different parts of the country. So in in East Anglia they're called Black Shuck. In um, Lancashire I think they're called Barguest. Um, in Yorkshire they're called Padfoot, like Sirius, um, and so on and so forth. They just have different names in different areas. Uh, and there's a similar. My my favourite from when I was a kid was the this being that lives in water. And I think the whole reason for it is that parents needed to give kids a reason not to go near the well you know or mm. not to go near the brook at the bottom of the garden because you know they might drown obviously so rather than just telling the kid don't do that because you'll die you know they would have to em- embellish it a little bit and, and warn them of some kind of water spirit that would drag them into the water you know with seaweed hair and long claws and things like that and um where i grew up that was known as jenny green teeth which for whatever reason, <clears throat> just speaks to me. You know, I just, I just love that idea of you know this, 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 this being that's you know horrible green teeth and ah, you know claws and stuff. And um, but it's different in different parts of the country. You know, like um, Peg of the Well, I think she's called in some places, Peg of the Well, and so on and so forth. And um, so, can she walk on land? Because I don't know this one. Is it more like a mermaid type of thing? Or I think so yeah, I mean, the thing with all of these is that they're very vague. You know, they're incredibly ambiguous because no one ever really sat down and put any detail on them because ultimately they're just warnings. You know, they're just warnings to stop Mm. kids doing daft things. But I think that's where I like them because it just leaves so much unsaid. And I like to fill the gaps myself. I'm wondering what the modern day uh, parents are going to be inventing to keep their children away from. Elf on a shelf. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, recorded now, isn't it? So there's not that vagueness, is there? That's the thing. Yeah, we 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 can't get away with just you know these vague. (laughs) We can't get away with vague threats anymore, and that's a real shame. What was that that thing that um? Oh, is it's called like Momo or something? Do you remember that from a few years ago? Oh yeah, it was like pointy face. Yeah. Because that's like, is that like a that's like a modern day goblin? Stay away from YouTube, or Momo will come get you. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, that would probably be quite a good thing to have. You know, I mean, I read yeah. there was an article in the in the paper this morning about how like most kids have engaged in trolling, and it's like, well, 
well, obviously, <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you know, if there's a way that you can do this sort of stuff online to whoever you want, then you'd expect that to be the case. But it makes you wonder whether, you know, uh, they, they, they call them nursery bogeys, these things like, like, you know, Jenny Greenteeth and like um, the boogeyman, you know, is a really famous one. Maybe we need some new ones for social media. You know, we, well, I mean, Musk could be the Twitter one. That works. Yeah, there's a thing. There's yeah. real bad people on Twitter, aren't there? That's yeah, the thing. Twitter, will get you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Although when I was a kid, my dad always used to threaten me with uh, Margaret Thatcher. Uh, yes. that, was, that was a threat in my house. It was like you know, don't take your milk. Eat, yeah, eat, eat, your, yeah, eat your dinner, or you know, Maggie Thatcher will come and get you. And I was absolutely petrified. You know, I I, <laughs> I had vivid, vivid ideas that she would appear at the door or even just like in my dreams or something and just, I don't know, <laughs> take me or something. It's just horrifying, horrifying. I, I blame well, my dad. I, I, I what really, age were you? Sorry, go on. Yeah, I just think that's so funny. But at the same time, I'm like, I feel like that would also instill a deep distrust of the government. Like, we're, <laughs> yes. I was like, what's your special interest? Conspiracy theories? Like... <laughs> Well, I like to believe that I'm a I'm I'm left wing for its for, for you know for for good reason you know for social mobility and for wanting the best out of the world and the people. But maybe it's just because I've got this visceral terror of the Tories because I thought Thatcher <laughs> was going to come. And get um, what what age were you when you realised that she was the former former prime minister rather than a, a sort of a person that would show up on your door? I I, I knew even then. You know, who, oh, I, see. <laughs> I still thought she was going to come and get me. You know, that's I, even I'm more scary, woman. isn't it? That she's it she's is, in charge. Yeah. Power, yeah. You know, power. It, it was terrifying. I mean, I don't remember her vividly, but I'm old enough to remember her being on TV. You know, and and speeches and stuff. And yeah, yeah. My dad, my dad used that. You know, and fair play. You know, it worked. I was very well behaved. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's I can use that my own children. I think Jacob Rees Mogg would make a good cryptoid. Oh, show up outside your house. He doesn't even need any element of exaggeration or fictionalization, does he? You know, he as he is is perfect for that. There's <laughs> something like, of the Slender Man about him. Yeah. There is. Yeah. If if he was if if I was in my house and I saw him standing outside, just standing outside my window, I would be petrified. You know, there's no two ways about it. I will be really, really scared because he has this way of him. He doesn't look like he belongs in our time and maybe not even our dimension. Um, yeah, there's something very, ugh, I don't know, about him. There's something very scary about like sort of the way he presents himself in quite like a considered way. There's mm. something scary about like considered evil. Um, yes. Like it's not just yeah. not driven by anger. It's like a sort of, there's something very scary about that. Yeah, like that. I think that. Yeah, we've I, we've gone off topic, but that's what the podcast is for. That's our <laughs> so we've got folklore, we've got Lego, we've got yeah. Minecraft, which is Lego mm-hmm. adjacent. Um, uh, and there's there's Marvel films because I, I they're one of the things I've never been able to get into. But that that and I know this is a stereotype, but I think it's a stereotype with some groups in truth that a lot mm-hmm. of autistic people like Marvel films. Um, yeah. I guess is that escapism? Is there also a thing of like um, that sort of being different and misunderstood, but that misunderstand that that difference actually being a superpower, but people don't get it? Is that is that part of the appeal? 
I, th- I think it is to a point, certainly with, with, with like all superheroes. I think superheroes generally, you know, in comic books and those kind of guys um, do, do tend to have that draw, you know, because we know we're different and it's nice to imagine that we're different in a really cool way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, Bruce Banner being a really good example because, you know, he is so obviously nerdy, you know, the, the, the Hulk. Um, you know, right. he's, he's a kind of geeky, nerdy guy, very, very meek and very quiet and very shy. And of course, it's the dream, isn't it? That you know he can transform into this being that can defeat anybody, and you know complete power over everything. You know, it's it's a it's a fulfillment, wish fulfillment, isn't it? You know, more than anything, I think. But but the thing about the Marvel universe that I like most is the interconnectedness of it, because I always found growing up that there wasn't enough of that in the world, um, and I mm. used to get so excited when things did crossovers, you know, and where. Where, where different medias linked together. Um, and, you know, in the 90s, it happened occasionally, you know, but it wasn't a commonplace thing. You know, things stayed very separate. Um, but, you know, the moment that characters started to appear in different in, in the different films, I, that was just brilliant for me because it... I don't know what... I tried to explain this in the book in, in Chapter 7, and it, it was very difficult to explain. It just feels like everything's interconnected in the real world. It's like Liverpool and... Um, I don't know, Liverpool and Paris exist in the same universe. You know, Liverpudlians can appear in Paris. That can happen. You know, and, and, and if, if you're if you're in Paris and you meet a Liverpudlian, it's like, wow, there's a, a, different places. You know, things, there, there are different people in the world. Whereas films and TV shows always stay so solidly kind of separate from each other. Yeah. It, it, just, it just feels unrealistic to me. It bothers yeah. me terribly. Whereas the idea of them intermingling, I mean, I read the other day that there was apparently a, an attempted, I think the Friends director, you know, people behind the, the sitcom Friends, approached Larry David to see if they would do a crossover with Seinfeld. Wow. So this would have been in the early days of Friends and the kind of later days of Seinfeld, I guess. Uh, and the Friends people were well up for it. And as you can imagine, Larry David wasn't quite so keen. Yeah. So it never happened. But I would have, you know, just as an example, I would have loved that because they're both in New York. Have the Ghostbusters turn up. You know, yeah. why not? Because it's all the same. <laughs> you know, I hate having all these separate universes. I want everything to be all mashed together in a massive pot where anyone can meet anyone um that, that's probably why fan fiction is so kind of attractive as an idea you know where you can just kind of have characters from everything else drop in you know um that that's that's a real feature for me and i'm not sure whether that's got anything really to do with autism it's just a, a thing that i love yeah it's interesting because one of my special interests would be hip-hop music more broadly um mm. And that is one of the things I love about it is the the yes. way that there will be a beat from one producer or one rapper and you'll hear it and another one or there'll be a reference to like a line or something like that. Very yeah. sort of interconnected, different features and stuff like that. Um, I guess it means that special interest never has to end, does it? Like you, yeah. um, mm. once you, if there's a, a book, you, if there's a writer you like, you can read all of their books and then you're mm. done. But uh, if, there's a, if there's a rapper you like or a, or a superhero you like, you've got all the films you've got all the comic books, you've got yeah. all the things that jump off from that, the fan fiction, and then that links to another universe and you can just sort of go around that area, yeah. Yeah, it sprawls, just sprawls endlessly, which I, th- I think I think a lot of autistic people feel that that moment where you feel like you've exhausted it. And it's a moment of, for me, it's like terror, you know, like, oh my God, 
now what do I do, you know, with my energy, you know, um, like completing a video game or like, say, finishing a series of books, you know, it's just a, a kind of moment on the precipice of thinking, I, I don't know what to do now. And, and yeah, it removes that because, as you say, you can just carry on forever. There's always going to be something. I hate that when I like finish a series, uh, yeah. like a, a book or a TV series, and I'm like, but I'm not done living in that world yet. Like my boyfriend and I just watched the new um Lord of the Rings, what uh, what's the new show called? Now I can't remember. Rings of Power. Rings of Power, yeah. So we watched Rings of Power, and then when it finished, I was like, "You want to go back and watch The Hobbit? Like I'm not <laughs> done yet. I I want to I want to stay in the world, like any part of the world. I just want to be here now." And my boyfriend's like, "We just watched like 12 hours of this. Can we move not on?" That. I'm like, "No, <laughs> no." <laughs> But yeah, it's. Can I ask real quick? What is your favorite uh, Marvel either series or movie, and your least favorite? Just out of curiosity. Oh God, um, that's a very good question. I really like. I think one of my very favorites would probably be. Um, I'm going to sound really cliche, but I thought Infinity War just did it all so well. Yeah. You know, because it brought everything together in such a nice way. Mm-hmm. And it made the interaction possible between, for example, the Guardians of the Galaxy and Iron Man, who are just so far removed from each other and just so, so, such a silly idea to have them combining, you know, that, but it worked so well. So I've got a lot of love for that. You know, I, I prefer it to Endgame. I think Endgame is very kind of spectacle and yay, time travel. I don't like time travel as a device. Um, but Infinity, I also like it when the baddies win. Because yeah. I, I guess I'm evil or something. I don't know what I'm, <laughs> but I, I, I really do. You know, Empire Strikes Back, um, Infinity War. You know, I, I don't like the boring thing of you know, good always win. I, I like them to win in the end, but you know, I like there to be real problems. You know, yeah. Um, my least favorite. I don't know really. I'm, I didn't enjoy Hawkeye that much. I wanted to, but I didn't. I, I really like the character of um, Kate, but. I don't know, something about how it, it just wasn't long enough. A lot of the TV shows, for the, for the reason you said, I want to live in them for longer. Yeah. They weren't long enough. You know, I mean, I, I found Daredevil, you know, the original, the Netflix Daredevil, yeah. which just went on forever. I loved that because it was like a big warm bath that you could lie in forever. Yeah. You know, kept going. Whereas Hawkeye and Loki and Moon Knight, they're over before they've begun. You know, yeah. just it's not enough for me. I felt like Hawkeye was... Uh... Like if you took a Marvel character and uh, tried to make them uh, um, like be in Die Hard. I was like, what are you trying to do with this? Is this Die Hard or is this Marvel? Because yeah. I really, I was like, I feel like he's just trying to be John McClane. I I guess it was the Christmas element of it. But I was just yeah. like, I feel like I'm watching... Like, instead of referencing other Marvel stuff, I just felt like I was watching something that was, like, low-key trying to be diehard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how many other people felt like that, but I watched the whole thing being like, I, 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 the same with you. It was like, I want to like it. Yes. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about the diehard angle, but I think the idea of it being very, again, it was Chris, It was Christmas adjacent, wasn't it? It wasn't a massive part of it, but it was there in yeah. the background in the visuals, you know, and just like Die Hard, you know, and, um, and, and he's like was- a family man who gets wrapped up in yeah. this, this is like romp. It was just like, I said, it's Die Hard. I'm watching Die Hard. Yeah. 
yeah and and just yeah not a very good die hard you know yeah. like a die hard die hard four rather than die hard one or three you know yeah. one of the even numbered die hard yeah <laughs> <laughs> i feel so out of my depth in this conversation the only thing i'm confused by is that pete said that he likes it when the baddies win but then earlier on you said that you didn't like the current political situation <laughs> I thought, surely that should be made for you the baddies <laughs> are winning <laughs> that's true yeah obviously there has to be a fictional remove otherwise i just can't handle it. <laughs> yeah. well but no yeah. i get what you mean because in fiction sometimes when you see the baddies when you're like okay this feel like real stakes yes like, it, it, like, it, yeah yeah it fe- but of course you can always turn it off and it's not real and <laughs> like like talking about infinity wars what was great um about the baddie and that what's oh god now i'm forgetting his name thanos is like and same with the baddie and black panther it's like you're not wrong you're just violent like you know he's (laughs) like really his concern was like that there was too many people on earth and thus the earth was getting destroyed and you're like okay but we could also just hold corporations to account and and not <laughs> wipe out. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I, I, I understand where that comes from. But then, yeah. but then, yeah, I've also had to stop watching the news again. Exactly, yeah, in reality, it's just too, like, we, you know, you, you can't turn it off, can you? You yeah. know, you can't, you can't turn um, Rishi Sunak off. And, and go and make a cup of tea. You know that you're still going to be there, you know, yeah. carrying on. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's a... Ugh. And you don't know that in the next three-hour movie, he'll get his comeuppance. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. We're, we're really on tenterhooks, you know, and the, the, there aren't any... Not being funny, there aren't many heroes. <laughs> yeah. You know, at least in Infinity War, by the end of it, yeah, some of them have gone, but, you know, there is Captain America, there is Black Widow, they're still there. I'm kind of looking around thinking, hmm, who, who, who is going to save us from, from, from this malarkey, you know? Um, and yeah, it, it seems like a very thin crowd, you know, it's like, um, it's like, yeah, there's, there's no massive kind of roster of amazing heroes who can save us. I'm imagining a superhero film with Keir Starmer as the lead now, and I'm not sure if that would work. Uh, yeah. It'd be quite the same. <laughs> very grey film. Very great film. <laughs> yeah. I I I need to watch superhero films. I don't know any of them. I and I worked for for five years with young autistic people, and <laughs> I'd say sixty percent of them were really into Marvel films, and uh, I didn't didn't pick up any any Marvel knowledge because you you are a writer now, but you were a teacher for mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, so many autistic people I know have made their special put turn their special interests into careers you went into yeah. teaching um what, what were you teaching uh english were you, were you crowbarring in lego and i suppose there's some folklore and stuff like that isn't there were, were you using marvel in your english lessons i was yeah yeah <laughs> you, you, you're you struggle you struggle a bit with the literature side because you've got to stick to the text you know it's very mm. difficult to shoehorn lego into odd mice and men I found, um, but you, I mean, you can try. Um, although actually having said that, one of the homeworks that I used to give uh, back in like, what would it have been 2013 or so uh, for my boys group that I had for GTSE, their homework was to go and recreate the ranch from Of Mice and Men in Minecraft, you know, so really <laughs> blending racial politics with Minecraft in the mind of these 14 year olds. Um, 
but my my classroom had Lego in it. I had Lego on display in there. Um, I used folklore especially and ghost stories. When I love teaching the you know ghost stories and Woman in Black and those kind of texts. I fa- I mean I wrote a whole chapter of a book on this um, for a book um, edited by Dr. Rebecca Wood about special interest role in the classroom for teachers and how I believe they actually. I mean, I I quit in the end, obviously, but I think it prolonged my time as a teacher because it gave me energy and motivation and enjoyment to be able to withstand the horror of being a teacher when you're neurodivergent, you know, because it's just so stressful. And I think that the joy that I could get from knowing that I was going into school that day and I was going to get to teach a ghost story, for example, or get to teach a book that I really love, you know, from my own, you know, interests, it kept me going. It really, it, it kept me soldiering on you know for probably longer than i would have otherwise been able to cope um but yeah i I shoehorn them in everywhere i mean i was shameless absolutely shameless about it you know i I did a whole unit of work um on abandoned theme parks because i can because i'm the teacher you know (laughs) i can do what i want you know within reason as long as it gives students an opportunity to do some reading practice do some creative writing then you know it's all open so yeah i did i did a whole unit of work on um american adventure which was a midlands theme park back in the day um it's all kind of mothballed now and it, it was fun it was great there is something in sharing your sort of special interests isn't there and i think that is why we can talk about them a lot and i think i guess for, for me i think it's because i i suppose similar for you i get a lot from them and yeah. i feel like the people around me my dad is a big music fan well, I like all music, but he, he's ne- he's never got hip hop music because he's a white man in the sixties. And uh, but um, he, I, I know that he could get it, and I know that if I make him listen to it enough, eventually he will go, "Oh, this is this is incredible." Um, That's the and I feel that people are missing out. Do you feel people are missing out because they're not into your special interests? I, I I certainly did. I still do, to be honest. I'm trying to be diplomatic. I still really do. But I try to control it, you know, because I have to remember that people have their own free will, you know, <laughs> the rest of it. But when I was younger, you know, like when I was a student and stuff, I, I was I was very, um, you know, like just, just very full on. You know, I, I wouldn't relent until people had at least given whatever it was a chance you know mm-hmm. um whether it was video games or books or whatever it happened to be that I was really into um and I forged you know very strong friendships with people that shared an interest you know in, in whatever way like you know one was like music from the 1980s another one was um you know sitcoms from the late 90s that kind of thing um but these days I just try to be a little bit because we have it kind of battered out of us don't we because we we come up against resistance an awful lot you know, people don't want to know as much as we want to tell them. I, I, I've found, you know, and um, I have found you know, the same well, thing. And it's 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 horrible because it means like a moment like now where I'm actually free to talk about it, and people are actually kind of interested, or, or at least very pending very well that they are interested. Um, it, it it it's such a difference to like when I was a kid, you know, and trying to talk about I don't know like Donkey Kong or something to my parents or my auntie and uncle, you know, to my Warhammer, to my rugby playing relatives, you know, um, and and just being met with blank looks and a complete lack of interest and and suspicion as well. Like, you know, why, why are you so excited about this thing? You know, because 
I think especially in this country, we're not really allowed to be really excited about stuff, are we? Not really. You know, anything that gets into the realm of being really full on and kind of like, wow, I love this thing, is viewed with extreme suspicion. So you spend a lot of your life just being kind of having it having it beaten out of you that you're allowed to do that interested in stuff and kind of hiding it away and pretending you're not really into it actually. Uh, you know, I mean, I had to do that with Warhammer at school because I just got bullied mercilessly for it, you know, for, for having the, the, you know, the nerve to find it interesting to paint little, little figures, you know, that was, that was just not allowed, you know, in a, in a boys school in the late nineties. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's it's nice to let it all hang out, but you're always reminded of those times. You know, you, there's always a kind of fear, I think, that, you know, people are going to kick back or not be interested or whatever. Was Warhammer not... Because I always think, think of Warhammer as being something that is quite acceptable for boys. Was it... What what kind of school was it you were at? Well, <laughs> was it all sort of rugby sports type? Was it that sort of thing? Or was it... Yeah, um... it was. When I was 14, we moved from um, the real world to a fictional, almost make-believe 1950s world, which is otherwise known as Lincolnshire. Um, <laughs> where, where, for whatever reason, some loophole exists where the grammar system still exists. You know, the grammar school system still hmm. perseveres there. I don't know why. I've got no idea why it, they were given a kind of out, you know, when they got rid of that whole system. But they, they're so still for there. people, this is, this is uh, schools where they're not private schools, but if you score well yeah. on a exam, then you can go into well, what's exactly. sort of a quote-unquote better school. Yes, yeah, indeed. Um, and, and look, you know, when we moved over there, I, I, I did okay in the test, thank, thankfully, because the other school was pretty scary, you know, with the, um, the, the kids that were there. Uh, very intimidating <laughs> bunch of lads, you know. Um, so I got into this, you know, relatively posh grammar school. And I was a working class kid from, you know, Colville in the Midlands, you know, mining town, very, very, you know, kind of interesting spot. And, and I was I was massively intimidated by this kind of, they were all farmer's sons, you know, or not all of them. I mean, I'm insulting some of my best friends here. Not all of them were, but there was a large contingent of farmer's sons. Yeah, insulting farmer's sons as well. <laughs> I don't mind about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There, there, there's a very particular type of, there was a lot of tweed at parents' evenings. Well, I, mean, I, I don't want to disparage, you know, the, the school. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I've, met, I've made friends there. I've got people that I still know today. And, you know, there were plenty of very lovely people there. But the atmosphere was very kind of, sporty male rather than nerdy male if that makes sense right. you yeah, know everyone yeah, yeah. had different ties based on what sport they were good at so you know they'd have like a, a solid red tie if they were good at i don't remember cricket or whatever of course i just ended up with a normal school tie because i wasn't good at anything um yeah. apart from warhammer and they didn't give a tie for that <laughs> now that like talking about that though like nerd culture now is a lot more acceptable like again we were talking about marvel and even i think warhammer like nowadays people like i've never i don't really know what warhammer is but like i get that people are into it and i don't think anyone would do you ever get like jealous i've heard this from like older nerds they're like angry that's like in my day you would have been locked in a locker for <laughs> For bringing yeah. your Lego set to school, like, do you ever get jealous yeah. that now it's a little bit more accepted? I, not, not so much jealous. I don't. I mean, certainly, it does remind me of how bad it could be, you know, back in those days. Because 
I don't know the nineties. You know, when when you think about the night, there was a there was a very prescribed idea of what maleness was at school in the nineties, and it was fed basically on a diet of FHM magazine and um, and, and nuts and things like that. You know, and if you didn't fit in with that and if you didn't have like a favorite football team or a favorite member of the Spice Girls you know favorite not because of their singing quality but because of you know other things then then you were viewed very very you know poorly and like you know something wrong with you you know and um and you can still see that when you watch media of the time you know if you watch tv shows from that time it's very very clear that's still there um I remember that as being so awful <laughs> that I wouldn't wish it on anyone. So, I mean, I've I've had kids when I was a teacher who would bring in their, their geekiest stuff imaginable and they get some grief, some, but not much. Mm-hmm. And that grief was stamped on pretty quickly, you know, by most of the staff, you know, and there was a kind of understanding that, you know, we were more, people were more allowed to be themselves now. And, and I was just happy, you know, for that because... Well, I mean, first of all, it allowed me to geek up as well. You know, I mean, I could show off my Lego without feeling too bad as an adult. I might not have been able to do it as a kid, but I can do it now and I'm going to, you know, so yeah. here it all is. And um, I'm not going to feel ashamed of it. Um, but but yeah, there, there has been a massive sea change in that. Although Warhammer, I still think, is is still seen as a slightly more unacceptable thing than other things it's much more acceptable it's still on the lower strata of um of what's okay and <laughs> what's not i think it hasn't hit the mainstream yet properly warhammer no. there's a big no. movie franchise and then it will um break into the mainstream yes yeah that's what it needs everything in order to become cool disney just needs to get its claws yeah. into it and then Such it'll be <laughs> it'll be ruined for the people who've loved it all along but People like me who weren't like reading reading the books or playing the games or getting the models all of a sudden are like, I have a lot of opinions. A lot <laughs> yeah. of opinions. <laughs> but you know, I, I, I work with young people for, so I, I became a full-time con about a year and a half ago, but I worked with young people for about five years part-time mm-hmm. before that. And it is, it's, in some ways, obviously, it's a much more difficult world to, to navigate and see there's all sorts of other evils in the world that weren't there for us growing up, but in many ways, young people are a lot kinder to each other now than I remember yeah. them being. Yeah. And I know that if you're there as an as a you know teacher or youth worker or whatever, you're only seeing a version of that world. Um, but it certainly does seem to be people are a little bit um, the, the the kids are doing better than we did. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, you'd still obviously bullying still exists and such like, but but as a general kind of atmosphere of of being just kind of reasonable with each other it's far better than it used to be. You know, it, it, it's, there, there isn't that almost, you know, expected level of animosity that just had to exist between almost every single individual in a school like it used to seem to be in the 90s. You know, it's, it, there's, there's an expectation now, I think, that, yeah, you kind of get on until told otherwise or until, you know, you have a reason not to or something. It's hard to pin down. There's just acceptance. You know, people are more accepted, I think. Do you, here's a here's a um, potentially hot question. Do you feel that that's because um, the obvious examples of that are things like homophobia, where I think there is significant less homophobia than there was. Do you think that that um, tolerance is extended to neurodiversity, neurodivergence in your experience of being a teacher? Only only when the non autistic or when the neurotypical kids know a bit about it. Right. Um, 
uh, which which is something that I could provide. You know, in that. So, sorry, when you say know about it, do you mean they know that specific kid has a diagnosis, or do you mean that um, they know what? They know what it, yeah, yeah, like a, a better, you know, a better like, kind of base level understanding of what they're dealing with. Because um, in that brief period of time where I'd had my diagnosis, I was still teaching because I only lasted for a couple of years. Um, I, I was very openly autistic and I talked about it to the to the kids, not constantly, but, you know, it came up quite a lot because, you know, to be fair, some of them were too. Um, and I, I'm, I always remember really, really vividly those lessons where um, – the autistic kids and me would just talk a little bit about being autistic in front of the other kids, you know, mm-hmm. and the other kids would just not for ages, you know, I wasn't that bad a teacher, but just, just a little bit. And the other kids would be interested, you know, and because it's, it's different, but it's a difference that's being explained to us. And kids love differences that are explained because then they're not scary differences. They're interesting differences. Mm-hmm. And that's something that kids love. They love that stuff. You know, anything that's a bit a bit off the beaten track, a bit weird, a bit different, a bit kooky, kids tend to lap it up when they're not scared of it and when they're not or when they don't have any reason to believe there's something kind of wrong going on. And and that's what it became in the classroom. So you'd end up with non-autistic kids being just genuinely fascinated by our experience, like asking questions about, well, so sir, does what about bright lights? what happens then and I'm like well <laughs> bright lights you know and flashing lights and stuff I can't deal with it and they'd be like oh okay oh, wow okay they didn't all talk like that um in fact I don't think any of them talk like that but <laughs> <laughs> I needed to differentiate somehow um and yeah they'd, they'd just be they'd be really cool about it once they knew a little bit about it mm. before they knew something about it it was just a slur term and that was it it was just Oh, you're, what, what, you're autistic. I'm doing the voice again. You're autistic or something, you know, and and, and that was it. You know, it would be a word that they'd use when they were playing Call of Duty that night or whatever they were playing and insulting other people in different countries. You know, they'd be they'd be using that word for that. Um, but once they had an understanding that it was a real thing and that some of their peers were involved in this and they viewed the world in this different and quite honestly interesting way, they were they were all they were up for that. They were they were all over it. They were happy with it um so so i think the potential is there very much so i i think you know it wouldn't take a huge amount for the you know the vast majority of kids in this country to, to become very accepting of neurodiversity very quickly so long as that problem of information is is, is handled and sorted you know so that they actually know what the deal is with that stuff and yeah it's the kind of thing that you know it could could change within five years with a proper campaign you know a proper some some way of disseminating knowledge of what autism really is to the kids themselves you know in classrooms in assemblies however you do that um and i think i think people who have a low opinion of kids will be very surprised by how amazingly adaptable and accepting they can be when they've been given all the appropriate information yeah i agree yeah that's my experience too i think it's um uh yeah i'm i'm always uh, i think people talk down young people a lot um and uh it's very hard to be a young person um, and you know there's a lot of stresses and strains put on you in your life and that can sometimes make young people act like dicks and uh but i think broadly young people are are good particularly this generation i agree we we've um we we will to um do the neurodivergent moment which is yes. uh our uh, i'm sure we've we've told you before we've briefed you but um we ask our guests for a moment in their lives 
where they have realized that their brain is unusual and different to other people's brains. Do you have a neurodivergent moment for us, Pete? I do. I do. I was going to t- it's a fairly general one because it ha- it's something that's happened many times. So it's not necessarily just one thing, you know, one instance. But um, but for me, it's it's misreading other people's interest in my special interests. OK, that's my that's my neurodivergent moment. So, for example, when somebody who I might not know very well says something along the lines of, oh, Lego, hmm, you like Lego. That's interesting. Yeah, I've had some Lego and I see that as a green light to just pour everything I know and care about Lego at that person in a kind of, you know, like, you know, when a dam bursts and everything <laughs> everything in the downstream is completely annihilated by the flow of water. It was, it's basically just like that every time it's happened, you know, it's, and, and, you know, you don't tend to ever speak to that person again <laughs> after this takes place, but I mean, you misread the interest. You, you see that little spark of potential interest. And yeah, I just I, I misjudge it very frequently and very horribly and assume that they want to know more about it than maybe they really do. Um, and, you know, that's happened with bosses and with colleagues and with family members and with my daughter, and with everyone that I can think of. You know, I've I've just, you know, catastrophically misread it. Um, but the one time that really sticks out for me, um, uh, well, it's the times where you overhear someone mention you're specially interest, and you're not even involved in the conversation. You don't even know that person, possibly. But they've mentioned the Titanic, let's say. And at that point, all I want to do is literally run over to them and just talk about everything that I know about the Titanic. The only thing that stops me doing that is my own kind of catastrophic low self-esteem, which which makes me far less likely to ever actually want to talk to anyone generally. You know, that's the only thing holding me back. So it's actually a really good thing that I have that because if I didn't, I would be, you know, if I was in a crowded area where people are having just, you know, general conversations, there there would be a very real likelihood that I would dot around, you know, run around the place, just, you know, from conversation to conversation, offloading information. You know, if I went to like Comic Con or something like that, something <laughs> that, you know, there's a real danger of this. I, I could I could wipe out a whole population, you know, within, <laughs> within a few hours. Just, just by letting rip, and it and it struck me that the moment that the publisher that I worked with for my first book said to me, "How about you write a book about special interests?" Well, that's what that was. That that was that was somebody showing a bit of interest, and I was like, "Okay, here's a whole book about all my interests," and I've just flown that out to the whole world, hoping that you know, just like you know, pouring all this information into their ears and their eyes. Um, so, yeah, it's something that, that I've done many, many times. And, uh, yeah, that picking out a key individual moment is difficult because it's always the same. It's always mm. the same impact. You know, it's always misread. It's always embarrassing. It's always met by this, t- you know, I end up with a feeling of shame that lasts for a long time afterwards that I that I, I have given this person too much information about about Lego, about the Titanic that they didn't want to know. Um, and now I feel dreadful for weeks on end. Um, so yeah, that's that's my neurodivergent regular moment. I, I love. I'm trying to remember the wording. I love the wording about um, the chaos it will cause if we took you to to Comic Con. I wonder whether you could be like a secret government weapon. <laughs> if uh, yeah, if they are Russia, we can drop you in Moscow, and you can just talk about Lego and uh, yeah. I could. They could probably use me as a very efficient kind of clearing device if there was ever like a fire alarm or a, or you know, a terrorist threat or something. You know, just 
unleash me and off I'll go overwhelming and alienating people with all that I know about um, Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and and yeah just you know see how that goes I could charge for that (laughs) (laughs) if if any yeah if any um, pubs are listening they want to hire Pete to clear out after last orders we were running about thank you so much for coming on the show Pete Oh, thank you for having me. It's, it's just a pleasure. I mean, obviously, it stands to reason. It's a pleasure to have the opportunity to come and talk about these these interests of mine. So thank you very much. Thank I'll, you. I'll send you a Kendrick Lamar mixtape for you to listen to. Excellent. And I will send you... <laughs> um, no, I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> a whole load of Lego. <laughs> yeah, well, that'd be great. I mean, to be fair, imagine getting a whole load of Lego through the place because you could just sell it. Just sell it on, you know I mean? Get your fortune. It's so expensive at the moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, you've got two books. Well, you've got one book out, one yes. book out soon. Um, I know what they're called, but could you tell our listeners what they're called, where they can get them from? Yes, of course. So the first book is called What I Want to Talk About, which I suppose makes sense. Um, and that is out now, and that's um, that's available online everywhere. You might not find it in a bookshop because it's quite a small publisher, but you'll find it online. And that's available to everyone across the entire world. So even if you're in America, which is often excluded from these kind of things, you can get a copy online. Um, So you you can use Amazon, you know, if you want to prop up that whole establishment, or you can just, you know, use whatever preferable uh, book outlet there is for you on the computer. Um, And, you know, it's it's, there's an audio book as well that I read with my voice. So that's nice, apparently, for some people. Um, And there's obviously an electronic Kindle edition too. Um, And then my second book is called Untypical. And that is more of um, a general overview of how autism works, desperately trying to just explain it to neurotypical people so that they have that better understanding that I believe would help a great deal. And it covers all kinds of things like relationships, work, school, um, even traveling, transport, you know, that kind of thing, communication difficulties, differences, uh, socializing, that kind of thing. There's a chapter basically for every part of life. Um, and that's out on the 16th of March. Um, and that's with that's with Harper Collins, so that's that's going to be in bookshops. Well, Touchwood, anyway. Hopefully, uh, so you might see that on shelves. Um, and um, yeah, you know, grab grab a coffee though. Grab a coffee. Grab a copy. Um, there will be a, an audio book of that as well, but I haven't recorded that yet. I think I'm doing that in the new year, so that's something to look forward to. And just a quick note uh, to people who don't like buying books online. Very often you can go to your local bookshop and ask if they have something. And if they don't, you can ask them to order it for you. Yeah. Yeah. They'll order it in. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Pete. And have a beautiful day. Thank you. Bye-bye. was Pete Wombie. What a fabulous person. And should we mention we're going to start a book club or are we mentioning that later? Yes, we are. Well, we're, we're, we have, we have pa- Patreons, patrons. We have patrons and they're on Patreon. Yeah. I always get confused by it. Yeah. So for those of you who have been donating to the Patreon thus far, thank you so much. And uh, we always offer some bonus content on our Patreon and we've decided to up the ante and we are going to start a monthly or for how long it ta- ever it takes for Joe and I to read a book book club <laughs> on our Patreon. Yeah. So we'll put, we'll put the details up on there, but Pete's book is going to be our first book. 
Yeah. So basically, uh, at, we're going to start on our Patreon. We're going to add some content of doing a book club. The first book we're going to read is Pete's book called, Joe, what's it called? What I Want to Talk About. And the inside's great. And uh, <laughs> so definitely uh, you can pick up Pete's book and we'll release our first Patreon book club episode at the end of January. Let's check that out. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. It's time for Neurodivergent Moments. Yes, yes. Uh, before we get into listener dur- Neurodivergent Moments, Joe, do you have a Neurodivergent Moment? This was maybe a moment where I realized how neurodivergent our industry is. Because I, and this is also a lovely way for me to slide in the fact that I'm on tour next year, going on tour, livenation.co.uk. Um, but I had a call from my agent saying she thought it was brilliant that I was very good at replying to emails and always got back and did things quickly. And in every other job I've ever had, I've been told off for not replying to emails quickly enough and not doing things quickly. But what I've done is I've found an industry inhabited completely by wonderful creative people with ADHD. And now I am the king of that industry because I will reply to your email (laughs) within three or four days. That's amazing. You haven't told me that story. And I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, my days. I don't know why, but that really makes my day. (laughs) It's like Um, when you play a video game and it's hard and then you find out you can put it on easy mode or something like that. That's what I've done with my own um, admin. (laughs) yeah by becoming a creative person your admin is now on easy mode they're like if they respond at all it's a bonus (laughs) (laughs) do you Um, have an nd moment um i think i might have come up with my own adhd hack uh which i want to share so when so i have some tattoos and i remember talking to someone once and they said when you start getting tattoos the best way to decide what you want is to decide what you want and then wait six months. And if you still really want it, get it. So when it comes to uh, new hyperfixations and uh, special interests, as it were, uh, especially when they're quite expensive, I decided there's something I've been obsessed with and I really wanted to do it, but I was like, no, 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 it's going to be quite an expense. So decide it and then wait. And I've waited a year. I've waited a year and I still really wanted to start doing it. So after a year of being patient, my dopamine's going nuts because I bought a keyboard and I'm teaching myself piano. Wow. That's really cool. So is yeah. It gonna, is it going to become part of the act or is it, is it for Absolutely just not. For Tom? Absolutely not. This is, uh, again, uh, I kind of talking to Pete when he was like, you know, some, I don't have a lot of hobbies anymore. I kind of just do everything, somehow link it to our career. So I got into cooking. I started a YouTube show. Uh, I got diagnosed with ADHD and started reading a loads about it. I started a podcast. Like, I'm like, I just want one for me. So uh, it will never be in the act, but I'm having a lot of fun plunking out little notes here and there do and do wait if you're thinking about having pulsive 
special interest related tattoos because I waited and I now don't have a Marilyn Manson tattoo, which I'm very grateful for. <laughs> Smart man. See, this is why sometimes you have to wait and, and getting it, the reward will be twice as sweet because you waited. But yeah, when it's something super expensive, when you're like, I want to learn pottery, I need to buy a pottery wheel. Just give it, give it a few, give it a few mm. months, give it a few months. Make sure you really want a pottery wheel and you're not just bored. Uh <laughs> Let's go in it. Yeah. Do you want to start? Yeah, I had a lovely one uh, via Facebook underneath the... uh... That there's a lovely clip from the John episode where he talks about his advice of... of, um, His top tip for dyspraxia was learning how to... When people tell him it's not real, just say, fuck off. That's his sort of main tip. And uh, there's some discussion of this on Facebook and someone gave me an ND moment. This is from Ruth um, on Facebook. Uh, she, she says, so there's some background information uh, that Ruth has Tourette's. Picture the scene. An elderly lady is in front of me as we wait to get off a tram. I say fish, one of my frequent vocal tics. She turns and says, don't call me a bitch, you great fat thing. I immediately reply, I didn't say that. I said fish. I have Tourette's syndrome. She sneers and says, no, Tourette's syndrome makes you swear. Not say fish, you liar. I try to use it as an educating moment and I say, actually, 90% of people with Tourette's syndrome don't have the sweary aspect. She wasn't convinced and again called me a liar, at which point I gave up on being polite and said, okay, you want me to be offensive, how is this? Why don't you fuck off back to God's waiting room, you dried up old cunt? (laughs) Feel better now. And that shut her up. Applause, applause. Oh, I loved that. (laughs) So Tourette's does make you swear, but not in the way that that people think it does. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. Thank you so much for writing that in, Ruth. Uh, Oh, God. These are the best. I love I love hearing your guys' stories. All right. This is sent to us through our email account. And the person asked to be remain anonymous. However, they want us to make up a name that is cute. So. That being said, uh, this is from uh, Princess Marshmallow Fluff Sparkles. <laughs> uh, and Princess Marshmallow Puff Sparkles. Now I've already you screwed built up. for your own back here. <laughs> <laughs> Princess Marshmallow Fluff Sparkles uh, has sent several uh, in, but I'm just going to read one. Uh They say, I was diagnosed with autism nearly 17 months ago at age 32, and I've had so many, oh, that makes sense now moments ever since. So here is one of Princess Marshmallow Fluff Sparkle's moments. My parents both worked full time, so we had a babysitter when I was a kid. One day I asked if I could have an apple. She responded I could if I would eat all of it. I ate all of it, including the core, which got stuck in my tiny child intestines, causing me to require medical help to get it unstuck. Apparently, the babysitter meant that she didn't want me to just take one bite and then abandon the apple. That's not what she said, though. Oh, no. Princess Marshmallow. (laughs) A tree growing out of her stomach. Oh, That's why I was warned that if you swallow the apple seeds, that a tree will grow inside you. I uh, uh, Conversely, I've always eaten the whole apple. 
I eat the core. I eat the core. Yeah. Uh, I started doing it when I got into backpacking as a kid because everything you take into the forest, you have to carry out. And I didn't like the idea of carrying apple, uh, rotten apple cores out. So I just eat the whole apple. Can you know, I've, I've, when I've got an apple core, I throw it in the, if I'm somewhere that's not too urban, I will throw it in, in some trees or a bush. Is that not you, allowed? I thought it was biodegradable. You shouldn't. It's biodegradable, but it's not part of the natural ecosystem. And oh, if we're talking right. about going into like national parks and stuff like that, you you don't want to disturb the wildlife any more than we already have by crawling all over it. So it's best n- to carry everything out, um, except for like so your when pee people and your introduce poop. an invasive species. Mm-hmm. Oh God, mm-hmm. this is the, the thing that finally gets me cancelled. There we uh, go. All the apples that I've been been leaving in bushes you're not you're not alone in this but uh if if you are a person who can remember to take your apple core with you please do what a lovely message to end the podcast on (laughs) thank you everyone for listening thank you so much um we will see you in a fortnight's time or a week if you're on the patreon yep Oh, and if you have a neurodivergent moment you want to send to us, you can always get in touch with us through social media or email us at neurodivergentmomentspod at gmail.com. Thank you. Bye. Sorry, I did a really weird thank you. (laughs) Should I do that again? Um, But maybe keep the weird one in for authenticity. No, Uh, I... Goodbye, listeners. No, I think we should keep all of this in. All of this in. Take none of it out. (laughs) <laughs> goodbye listeners thank you for um appreciating us <laughs> i want a slow fade as we both have a breakdown okay <laughs> you're people okay. hearing lovely bones now over the top every vibe bye, bye. bye. bye.